Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I'm Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing? Uh I'm 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 doing uh I'm doing well, but um I should uh I was telling you off mic, I'll tell the listeners I got a uh a temporary crown uh, mm. put on my tooth today, which meant I had to go like they had to numb me up and like yeah. grind away my cracked, rotting tooth to place the temporary crown crown on on, on top. Um, and uh, so I thought that would be a um, a good excuse to listen to the uh, new album by a Dutch band called Teeth Grinder. Hey, <laughs> the album is called Dystopia. Uh, it's very, uh, uh, it's very heavy and angry and and doom laden, and it made me feel the way that my teeth probably uh, felt. So, um, but I should tell you, I was listening to these in my tweakedaudio.com earbuds. Let me tell you about tweakedaudio.com. Tweakedaudio.com is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. They look great. They sound great. Tyler and I use them each and every day of our lives. Like I said, today I was using them to listen to Teeth Grinder. Sounded great. Made me feel at ease. Made me feel like I was understood. It made me feel seen, as they say. Um, Sounded good on my tweakedaudio.com earbuds, which are available at a low, low price at tweakedaudio.com. But if you use the offer code pretension at checkout you get one third off that low low price and there's no shipping charges so please go to tweakedaudio.com and use the offer code pretension tyler you have something to say i hate yes. when you do this but go ahead i'm tr- you know i raise my hand i want to try and you know because i want to when i can i try to contribute uh this is not going to contribute much by the way but the only um, we were just talking with our the guest is about to be on about how we like our old school podcast and we don't edit the only like hmm. editing related thing that i have to do is i have to splice in the ad drop the place where the ad's going to drop like an mm-hmm. ad after the ad read is going to drop in and so when you have something to say after my ad read i'm like oh this is going to make it harder for me to find a place to sp- splice in the ad so well, say your my, piece. That's uh, not my problem, yeah. David. Um, say your piece, and then and then and then we'll then I'll leave some sort of mark for myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I feel like this is something that you especially will appreciate because because uh, recently I was listening uh, on my tweaked audio earbuds. Um, as you know, uh, I, I these days I I don't have time to read, so I just listen I just listen to audiobooks. And I was recently. Uh, I started listening to the audiobook for uh, of uh, of Black Mass, um, the the story of of Whitey Bulger and mm-hmm. and the you know uh, working with the FBI and that sort of thing. Uh, and as I was listening to it, it was tough because I kept getting distracted. What I was distracted by was my own memory of how much I don't like this movie. Um, okay. And I was just like, this book is so interesting. How could how could the movie screw up this interesting of a story? And and yeah. I, I had to I had to pause it and be like, OK, I have a choice to make. I can either actively get the push this out of my mind and try to forget the scenes that are being referenced, you know, the, that have been dramatized uh, for what I'm listening to right now. Or I can just listen to another book. And I started listening to another book because I don't think I because I realized like I'm not going to be able to get 
this movie that is just so middle of the road forgettable. Uh, I'm not going to be able to get it out of my mind. And so uh, it's going to ruin this book for me. So uh, I wound up listening to uh, a different book on my tweak audio uh, earbuds. But uh, but I thought I would tell that story because I know that you in particular, maybe even more so than myself, you do not like Black Mass, the movie. Did not like that movie. Yeah. And so it distracted uh, me so much that I can't even listen to the book now. Uh, okay. And, but I'm sure it sounded it did all the tweaked audio.com earbuds almost got you there i'm sure almost got me there okay if debit is your go-to card discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too so check out discover cashback debit a game-changing checking account with cashback on everyday debit card purchases that's right cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore whether it's a movie date flea market find or midday latte you can start earning cash back and did i mention there are no fees period. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank member FDIC. All right, we're back uh, from uh, Tyler's distraction and the subsequent ad that I had to, uh, to drop in. And uh, we have a guest who, I, who I'm going, whom I'm going to introduce. Again, this is a professional podcaster who's our guest. Uh, we, despite doing this over 15 years, not professionals, rarely do I have actual copy to read. Oh, uh, but like, because this was set up through like, you know, a publicist type of deal. I Ooh. have, uh, our guest is an award-winning culture fiend who has covered everything from food and travel to movies and comedy. Now he's the brains and voice behind, behind movie podcast last year's debut season lost in translation focused on a handful of international films that are huge in their native countries, but little known or misunderstood in the U S uh, I'll skip some of that, uh, in this summer, second season, only in theaters, uh, our guest spot, spotlights six movie theaters around the world that have shaped the course of movie history and often history history. Our guest from the movie podcast is Rico Galliano. Welcome to Battleship Pretension, Rico. Oh, I couldn't be happier to be here. Um, yeah, and you, know, you, know, you didn't have to read that. You could you could have done your own thing. I like listening to you riff on me. Uh, we'd, uh, we'd, we'd already done our riffing on the tweak to audio thing. And, Indeed, yes. And, uh, but, I, and I, but I like the, uh, um, I like the opportunity to read like a professional, like intro. Yeah. Um, it's nice. Uh, I mean, I, sk- I skipped a lot of stuff, uh, but, uh, that's, uh, that's the, the, the sum up of what the movie podcast is. Um, and, yeah. and, uh, but what do you have to tell us about, well, t- tell us about yourself first, I think. Yeah, what's about your story? me? Yeah, you're, <laughs> yes, you're, I mean, I, I know that you're an award-winning culture fiend who has covered everything from food and travel to movies and comedy, but what I is that? I, I, I heard that too. <laughs> uh, no, that's basically about it. There's nothing much to me. I'm a kind of <laughs> lifeless hull of a man when I'm sure. not just promoting or writing about stuff. So don't, don't, can we stop right now? <laughs> <laughs> this is like an hour long show, right? Well, I don't, there's nothing in me to fill that. I'm sorry. Well, no, that's well, all. you know what? Um, I will start with the question I always ask first time guests, where are you from? Where'd you grow up? Where were you born? I, I, I will, I grew up all over the place cause my dad was an academic and, you know, skipped around to a lot of different colleges, but I, I say that I'm from Pittsburgh. I spent a good chunk of my life there mm. from like, uh, just before junior high school, all the way through college and a little bit thereafter. And I, I do love that town and we'll talk about it as much as you want. Oh, good. Cause little. I have questions. Uh, I, I have questions about, uh, about Pittsburgh. Um, I've never been, um, I feel like I've been because we had the one, two punch of, uh, what was it? Uh, happiest seat. What was the, 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 
the Cleo Duvall Hulu like holiday movie that was uh, oh uh, right uh, uh, Happy Season I think it's called right okay, okay. yeah anyway. I've heard about it I have not seen it and so it, by the way everybody in farted. Pittsburgh generally knows every movie that was ever shot in Pittsburgh <laughs> only to be able to say <laughs> while watching it with somebody it's like you know this was shot in Pittsburgh and then they tell you um, the fuck up. Um, and then there was also so we had that and then there was what was the um why am i so bad at movie names all, all of a sudden i mean jack reacher was um, shot there the first jack okay reacher, one of the uh, rachel Bro- uh, i'm your woman the rachel brosnahan uh, movie directed by julia hart from 2020 was also uh shot in pittsburgh but um that got me thinking okay <laughs> what because I've, I, I've asked this question on twitter before and gotten everyone has a different answer what what region of the country is pittsburgh like oh, good question because pennsylvania is on the east coast but pittsburgh's mm. not on the east coast yeah it's, but it's like, also like it's close to ohio but it's not the midwest is it appalachia is it rust <laughs> belt what do you call it uh, pittsburgh is not appalachia it, uh, rust belt for sure i think okay. it qualifies for i mean like you could argue that we invented the damn rust belt right. um the uh, i'm sure ohio would have some quibbles with it but what don't they really and uh what i think what we tend to call is the mid-atlantic region which is okay. very ill-defined i would say i don't really know what else is in the mid-atlantic region <laughs> frankly but one time in school i won an award that was a mid-atlantic artistic fellowship which at the time was like 200 bucks by the way and that nice. was really not enough but they, uh, <laughs> it was a mid-atlantic amount of freaking money is what it was um but uh i i would just, i guess it probably includes like parts of new jersey or something you know because it's okay. like the same thing new jersey is also east coast but is it does it feel i guess it kind of feels east coast it has coast unlike yeah pennsylvania um but i think it's like that uh yeah maybe maybe parts of like virginia or something okay yeah that makes sense considered mid-atlantic um and it's like that but it is a very weird ill-defined area um and uh, i mean i feel like the most that it's really been explored in terms of its specific character. I mean, it's appeared in a thousand movies. It's often people shoot mm-hmm. movies there all the time, but it's only been like explored as in, in, in its like details in comedy because of the accent, the Pittsburgh accent, I believe is starting <laughs> to gain some fame. Did you ever see the Kroll show? Uh, uh, Ponsilvania. Okay. I've, I watched the odd episode. I don't remember enough. They had an ongoing skit called Ponsilvania. And the idea was that it was two pawn shops. It was a fake reality TV show. And it was two pawn shops, one in Pittsburgh and one in Pennsylvania and one in Philadelphia. And it was 100%, you know, designed just to make fun of each of those cities accents. Um, It's just the two guys using their two accents to say ridiculous (laughs) things. It is one of the most bizarre sounding accents. And uh, I have a special place in my heart for it. But can you give us a taste of? Yeah, I I sure. Okay, go ahead. Totally. Totally, I could tell you about how he's talking Pittsburgh. First of all, well, let's say the sen- the sentence I always like to say is, "Hey, Yins, let's get a case of Corona and go up a cabin." That's one thing you'd say, <laughs> or you'd say uh, there was a place called Donzies. Hey, Yins, want to go down there in Donzies and watch them buckos on widescreen? They got uh, twenty five cent irons down there. <laughs> you can take a streetcar downtown, ever Donzies. 
it's like someone wanted to do all the accents at the same time it's wait they have 25 cent what well back in the day this is this is from my college days there was a time iron like iron city iron city yep we call it the uh iron city beer which is made in pittsburgh i think it's still made in pittsburgh for a while there when i was growing up uh pittsburgh was the only major quote-unquote major metropolitan area (laughs) where uh, outside of milwaukee i think where the like number one beer was actually made in the city this was at a time before the explosion of microbreweries and stuff like that but yeah like everybody well, drank yeah iron city so I mean, i'm from I, i'm in from that kind of city too because i'm from st louis missouri where everyone drinks budweiser there, and Bud Light. You go. yeah that's um, that doesn't count yeah <laughs> Sorry. um uh penguins fan are you a, are you a penguins fan um, I can't say that I like. I was more of a Steelers fan. You can't not be a okay. Steelers fan in in okay. Pittsburgh, but definitely. I mean, I was there for when the Penguins won a couple of uh, cups, and yeah. I can tell. And it was at a time when Pittsburgh was not faring very well. And I worked actually. We're going to get to this subject in a minute. I think is to movie theaters. I was working at a movie theater in downtown Pittsburgh at a time when downtown Pittsburgh was not a place you really went late at night. But everybody on the staff basically had a cookout on the uh, uh, like a hot dog cookout, listening to the game on the radio, Mm. the final world cup game on the radio on the sidewalk while, you know, making hot dogs. And uh, when they won the city, which never had many people in it at the time, like the downtown area just didn't have many people. It was mainly, you know, kind of like there was a lot of prostitution and like that kind of a vibe just suddenly filled up miraculously with human beings. I like have no idea where they came from. It was just like <laughs> people were like, where do we go? I guess downtown is the most symbolic somehow. So they all just keep pouring into downtown. And it was like, I remember like homeless people high-fiving each other and like uh, high-fiving everybody. It was just like uh, one of the greatest moments of my life. So though I did not follow the penguins so much, they did give me a few like wonderful nights. Um, last question about Pittsburgh. Well, this is about, cause you live in Los Angeles. Now, how long have you lived in Los Angeles? Uh, for about, Oh man, how long now? Like 20 some years. Oh wow. Oh, wow. Okay. So that's long enough. Where, tell me where in Los Angeles can I find the best sandwich with French fries on it? <laughs> Hey, you know what? I, I do know that they'd have those. The reason for those who are listening, the reason why that's being asked by David Bax is that uh, that is the classic Pittsburgh sandwich is the Primanti sandwich, which is served with coleslaw and French fries on the sandwich. Um, yeah. And there was a place called Steel City Sandwich. It was a, it was actually a, uh, um, a food truck. And oh. I sampled that. This was many years ago. I don't think it exists anymore, but it was because I used to do a show that had a food segment in it. And uh, we were always like, what new food thing is happening? And I was able to talk about the Pittsburgh sandwich because the first Pittsburgh sandwich food truck had started in LA. And it was, it was made by Pittsburghers. So it was pretty good. Uh, but I can't, I, I feel like there's something missing. I feel like the, the, the hardest part is the coleslaw. The coleslaw is okay. the most important part because it has to be a very vinegar-based coleslaw. It can't be uh, mayonnaise because it's the idea is that the vinegar is going to flavor those French fries. So you almost get like a little, you know, fish and chips and vinegar kind of thing going on on top of your sandwich. That sounds uh, good. So I, I don't know. Uh, I know that there are a couple other places that do it. There's now a place that does a Pittsburgh pizza, which is interesting because... Uh, that I, also has French fries on it. It has. <laughs> it's made of French fries. It's a French fry crust. They, I, I actually also wrote a piece about Pittsburgh pizza once in uh, the Daily Beast. And what I basically came up with was the thing that characterizes a Pittsburgh pizza is that they're 
completely insane, which is a representation that like, there is no one kind of Pittsburgh pizza, <laughs> which is a total representation of Pittsburgh, which is basically like a series of villages cleaved in twain by rivers and mountains and like twisty roads and stuff like that. So the fact that someone's saying that they have the Pittsburgh pizza leads me to think it's probably not real Pittsburgh pizza. Mm. If you can define it, it's not Pittsburgh pizza, <laughs> oh. buddy. Well, there you go. Um, I, yeah, have I, 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 I have not had a permani style sandwich in Los Angeles, but when I lived in Chicago up the street from the video store, I worked out there was a Pittsburgh bar and grill that had those sandwiches. And my memory was if you're getting it to go by the time you get wherever you're going, it's a mushy mess. <laughs> Cause the coleslaw has made the French fries all soggy. I feel like if you're sitting at the bar and you order it, it's probably good right away. Oh, I yeah, remember liking sure. them when I would like get them and bring them back to work for lunch. Uh, yeah. And also uh, French fries tend to just congeal. There was actually yeah, another yeah. kind of classic Pittsburgh place that is now closed. It's called the original hot dog shop in the Oakland section of Pittsburgh. And that was known for its, despite its name about with hot dog in the title, it was known for its French fries, which were served. Like it was absolutely drunk food. You'd go in at like two or three in the morning or something with your friends and you'd get you'd always order the small because no matter what size little paper boat you ordered, they'd take the entire like basket of French fries and just dump it on top, on top of a tray. So it was like the, you knew you were going to get a ton of food no matter what size you ordered. And invariably it was so much that you only got about halfway through and then someone would volunteer to take the rest of it home and forget that tomorrow morning it's what you have is a ball of starch <laughs> yeah, with some salt in it. And I think well, that's what you got on your sandwich in Chicago. <laughs> well, um, you mentioned you worked at a, uh, a movie theater. That's kind of inspired by your, uh, second season of the movie podcast, uh, uh, being about, about movie theaters. Um, we're just gonna, we're gonna loosely, uh, call the theme of this episode, just movie theater. I don't know. Memories, experiences, what sure. do I, I want to call it? Movie theater bigger. memories is, is sounds better. It sounds pretty PBS, but I like, it. uh, <laughs> Yeah. So tell me about the movie theater you worked at in Pitt in Pittsburgh. Um, it was, it's still there. It's now called something else. Um, and actually if you listen to the first episode of the show, you'll hear me go there um, right at the very beginning. Uh, it is, was called the Fulton when I worked there. It was originally called the gaiety. It was started as a um, vaudeville place and it was actually considered the kind of working man's theater. Pittsburgh was, of course, a gigantic mecca for a long time. It was like one of the biggest, you know, most important cities in America. And so they had tons of everything. Uh, so they had a lot of movie theaters. And I, I think even one of the first Nickelodeon started in Pittsburgh or something. But this one was supposedly the working man's theater. And it was still like this is an, a 1300 seat theater, I think, with a balcony. And there's like pretty grand decorations around this, like some amount of gildedness, there's kind of like plaster relief on stuff and sh chandeliers with, you know, not particularly grand chandeliers, but still chandeliers. And on the ceiling is kind of a, what looks like a painting, but is actually decals. I later learned of like, you know, half naked women frolicking against a kind of cloudy background, huge kind of domed ceiling. It was like a 30 foot screen. And the thing that was amazing about it is because this time, as I mentioned in Pittsburgh, was not great economically. This is kind of like early nineties. Um, we were, it was like, I worked for a place called Pittsburgh filmmakers, which was like a, you know, a co-op. They were a filmmakers co-op that also taught um, classes, filmmaking classes around town, but they let us use this theater, this giant 
freaking 1300 seat theater to show like art house and independent and foreign films and classics and stuff. I mean, like in that 1300 seat theater, most of the time there'd be like 20 people. And that is a very singular experience. Like the first movie I saw, do you know, Tom Waits's concert film, big time, big time. Yeah. It's totally odd. And really that was my first exposure to Tom Waits. Hmm. And most of Pittsburgh was not hip enough to know how awesome (laughs) that guy is. So it'd be like 10 people, but I'd be sitting there, you know, Tom Waits crazy jowls, you know, (laughs) what seemed like a thousand feet tall. And the the sound is just like reverberating in this huge theater. And you can imagine it's like, it was a semi derelict theater. It was kind of a little Mm bit peel painting, you know, sorry, peeling plaster. And I was, we were allowed to sit up in the balcony. Only the people that work there could sit in the balcony because it was too dangerous to really accommodate (laughs) a full audience. But that meant we had the whole balcony to ourselves. So you're like up there and it's kind of like this beautiful yet slightly rotting theater. It's exactly Tom Waits theater. Yeah. That's, that's almost a little too perfect. I think, (laughs) especially the idea that's like, Oh, this place is too dangerous, which means we have it all to ourselves. Like, I think you're focusing on the wrong thing. I think you may have been, should have focused on the first thing uh, as opposed to the, (laughs) the exclusivity that danger creates, Uh, Um, you know, you're young, you think you're immortal. I get it. That's right. Um, Oh, uh, uh, I'm going to say this. My, uh, my, um, preferences in, in like where I sit in a movie theater have changed over time. Mm-hmm. Now I am not a balcony guy unless I have to, you know, like mm-hmm. there have been times like at, you know, at TCM fest or whatever, when I'm seeing, like, I thought, I think I saw uh, spellbound on like a nitrate print at TCM fest. And it was, it was a hot ticket and the balcony was all that was open. So I sat up there when I was younger, I would have loved that. Now I sit closer to the screen and <coughs> if I can, I want, Basically, I want to look up at a movie. I don't know if it's like a, hmm. uh, a, um, a. I was having this conversation off mic with friend of the show, Kristen Sales, years ago, and she like was like, "Oh, is it a religious thing?" <laughs> like almost like it's. Uh, I want to look up at at the movie, and and uh, a balcony is is fun, but it's not where I want to be in, anymore if I, that, if I can avoid it. That's fascinating. I mean, I do think that there's something to that feeling. Um, that, yeah. you know, you do want to look up. I, I do think it can be religious depending on the movie and your feelings about it. Um, but I will say that I started off that way. I mean, I remember seeing re-releases like of Star Wars movies and stuff like that as a kid and wanting to lie down. I, I remember going at the time I was living actually in uh, West Virginia. This was right before Pittsburgh. And I remember lying down there was nobody in the theater and, you know, just going down to the very front row, even in front of the front row and lying underneath the theater so that it wow. was like almost like a sliver of a screen, but towering above you. Yeah. So at the end, when the Millennium Falcon comes out, it's like diving into your face. But now I kind of feel as I'm getting older, I move further to the back of the theater, but I wonder why that is. I've been thinking part of it, I think is because you're, that means that nobody can bug you behind you. You're like taking out. That's true. There's something to be said for that. Yes. And no one can kick you uh, (laughs) the back of your chair. Um, And maybe uh, also, maybe I like that feeling that it's just like uh, feeling, I can feel like it's just kind of me. Maybe, I don't know. That doesn't make sense because then you can see everybody in front of you. I don't know. I'm trying to decide what the psychological reason, by the way, what is, what's your seat, Tyler? Uh, similar to David, I think my, my preferences have changed over the years. I was very much a back row person for a long time. Uh, that was my, yeah, for, for various reasons. One is that 
if, if someone is talking behind me, it's a lot harder for me to tune them out. If somebody is talking in front of me, you know, cause the, the sound is going yeah. forward. And so I don't really, it doesn't really even bother me that much. Uh, and so, and yet still, uh, I, over time have moved a little bit closer, certainly not so close that I'm looking up, but close enough that, uh, the screen is, you know, taking up my whole mm. field of, of vision, as opposed to when you're in the back, uh, you do feel a little bit more at a distance and it just kind of depending on obviously the theater you're in, it kind of feels like you're just watching a really big TV. Oh uh, yeah. I that's true. As, I think as time has gone on, I like to be sort of, so I'm, I'm more in the middle. And then I always, if possible, I like to have an aisle seat just because I have claustrophobia issues <laughs> oh. in, in case people, uh, in case people like in case it's very busy um i like to also, sit right in the middle uh, i i would like to and, and in in situations like there have been times when i go to a late movie in the middle of the you know in the middle of the week and it's not a popular movie and like nobody else is there in which case like all right i'm gonna move yeah. to the middle uh because i know nobody's gonna like box me in or anything like that but uh but that but, thing but is that's increasingly i do go to showings that i know will not be very well uh, not very populated and so <laughs> that's interesting so i think that lets me that that makes me feel a little bit better about about the possibility of people being behind me because there probably won't be that many are you doing that on purpose by the way are you like picking show times where you think it'll be a little less hectic? <laughs> uh it's or are you just picking movies that like nobody likes uh, all of the above uh, although you know what I mean these days um, I like yourself uh, I have uh, I have two toddlers I have twin toddlers they're they're almost two. Oh my and god so as you undoubtedly know you, you kind of go to the movies you're able to go to yes um, and and in this case because my kids for the most part sleep through the night they go you know they go to bed around six or seven they sleep for 12 hours which is great uh, and so it means that like okay I'm I will, if I'm going to go see a movie, I'll see like a nine o'clock movie because I want to be able to make myself available to like help put them to, you know, help put them to bed and all that sort of thing. Um, so it's like, all right, so now it's a nine or nine 30 movie, yeah, yeah. uh, usually like in the middle of the week, because I do actively try to avoid weekend crowds. Mm. Um, mm. and before you know, it's like, yeah, there's like 10 other people in the theater. If that, which is wonderful. Yeah. A Co couple of things about Tyler, um, yeah. uh, what first off I said wrong now? No, no, I'm, I'm, uh, first off, I can't, you're reminding me that I can't wait for the Vista to reopen whenever that's going to sure. be, because oh, that yeah. is a place that has enough leg room that you could sit in oh, any yeah. seat and yes. not feel like you're going to get boxed in. You're not yes. going to bother anybody getting up to go to the bathroom yeah. in the Vista, which is great. For those um, who don't know, it's like almost every other row of the Vista feels like it's been taken out. It's incredible. Yeah, it's I'm, I'm surprised by, I'm surprised by the Vista. Cause obviously when you do that, like they could cram more yeah. seats in and sell more tickets. I'm surprised. It's like the opposite of the airline industry, basically. <laughs> yeah. 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 They're, they're true to, to, or I guess they have, I mean, they're Tarantino owns it now and is planning on reopen, opening it. We don't have a date. We know from court documents or whatever legal documents that he has filed for a beer and wine license. So, um, that's gonna, there's going to be whenever it finally opens, there's going to be booze there. Um, I think the idea but, of you guys uh, like pouring through legal documents. Just oh, I know. I just follow people who do. Um, uh, <laughs> but, uh, my other thing was I understand like, cause other people, you know, 
I can be misanthropic and other people during movies can be annoying, but also, especially with certain movies, seeing it with a lot of people is a big part of sure. the experience. Oh, sure. You know, yeah. I think the, the example I always go to is that like, it, okay, if I had seen the Wolf of Wall Street on my own at home, I would have loved it just like mm-hmm. I loved it in the theater. But I think I would have thought of it as like a biopic with oh, yeah. like comedic elements. I think because I saw it in the theater, I think of the Wolf of Wall Street as like a comedy first because mm-hmm. the, the crowd I saw it with was roaring. Just like it, uh, among the biggest, most sustained laughs I've ever experienced in the theater was like the, the, the Quaalude scene. And like, I'm trying to get back into the car and stuff is like literally like as, as hard as I've heard a, a mass of people laugh. And that's a big part of what I think of when I think of that movie now. And that's amazing. There is something to be said for, for that, uh, to be sure. Um, both positively and negative, negatively, because David, you may recall many, you know, at this point, 22 years ago, uh, you and I were going to uh, what at the time was uh, SMS, Southwest Missouri State University. Hmm. Um, and I went to go see some friends wanted to go see Meet the Parents. And so I went with them and it was like open. It was the first weekend and it was a full theater. And, you know, everybody's laughing uproariously. And it's it's infectious laughter, especially a full theater of laughter. And so I came out thinking like, man, that movie's hilarious. That is that is a, a, a an extremely funny movie. And I was like ranting and raving to you about like, boy, this is this movie is, is hysterical. I went so much so that I was like, I'm going to go back and watch it again. <laughs> I went back and first off, and then you saw it and you're like, I didn't think it was that good. And I yeah. went back with a much, you know, in, in I think, again, in the middle of the week. So there was only a few people in theater. And as I was watching, it's like, huh, this not only is not that funny. It is not that good. Uh, and I was like, what, what happened? And that's when I realized, you know, really, it really hit me just how impactful it can be to see a movie with an audience. Uh, and then, and other times I'll, I'll, I will try to steer into it. Like when Avengers Endgame came out, obviously it's this big event and being, you know, the former comic book kid that I was, I was really excited to see it. And so I saw, you know, at the, the AMC that I went to, it was playing on like every screen. They had a screening, you know, they had a showing every half hour. So I went to like an 11 PM screening and uh, full theater. And I'll be honest, like, and, and, no, and that's a situation. No one was saying a thing because everybody there was really excited about the, about the film, mm-hmm. but there's a few, there are some cheer moments in that film. And you know, look, I, I recognize that this we're talking to a movie guy. So obviously <laughs> he's going to look down on me for uh, being inspired oh and my being God. excited about this mainstream film. I'm getting the, I'm when, getting the when, art house mafia <laughs> when, on when, you guys. When, uh, when Captain America gets that hammer, <laughs> like everyone in the theater cheered because it's first off, it's set up to get it to to elicit yeah. that response. Uh, and, and mission accomplished. Like, and I was really excited and everybody oh, wow. cheered and I was like, yeah, this is pretty exciting. Like if I had yeah. seen this now by myself, I would still feel that, but I wouldn't feel quite so connected with everybody in that moment. Now yeah, I'm going to sure. be the pretentious art house crank and say that that kind of stuff tends to work against my experience. Like when I saw Dr. Strange two, mm-hmm. and I guess spoilers for Dr. Strange two, I'm sure everyone who cares has seen it by now when Professor X like shows up and she would tell you for is like, and now the final member of our team, yeah. like he's like bringing him out, you know, uh, uh at, a, at, a, at a show and he shows up and everyone like applauds. I was like, 
it was a bitter taste in my mouth. I was like, "You bunch <laughs> of fucking mark ass suckers! <laughs> You're eating it up, aren't you, you lemmings." <laughs> something yeah. like something like that, where it's it's playing up the cheer moment just because of like, "Hey, remember this?" Like they even play. I mean, it's it's. I, I almost admire Sam Raimi for doing this. As he's coming out, they're playing the theme song from the animated series <laughs> during that moment. Like I don't know if oh, you boy. caught that or not. I, I did like, not. Yeah. Like, damn, that's pretty blatant. Um, so that's Whoa. that's a cheer just from the inclusion of something as opposed to something that's like it's it's a payoff of something that happened in uh, uh, Age of Ultron, uh, the, the hammer, oh, the hammer game, is, yeah, uh, yeah. in Endgame. So it's a payoff of something. It also kind of reveals something that we always sort of suspected about Captain America, that there's a certain purity to him. And and also it's a and it's it's done artistically in a way that is that is very satisfying. So that at least the cheer is is rooted in story as opposed to, hey, look, it's Patrick Stewart. Isn't that great? <laughs> Playing Professor X, but in look, like the yeah. big uh, floating wheelchair thing. Applaud monkeys. Yeah, yeah no, I get it. There's a, I mean, the, the for for whatever reason, the thing that immediately comes to mind for me, it's not in the same vein that you're talking about, but um, seeing I saw Mad Max Fury Road when that came out. Mm. If, I didn't realize how long I'd been waiting for that movie, but as soon as it was announced, it was like, I will do anything that I have to do to see that at the Chinese theater on opening mm. night. That is happening. Oh, sure. And it was like, I went with uh, a girlfriend who at the time had never seen any of the Mad Max movies and a whole bunch of other friends. And I was like, I think you're kind of going to be in for a ride. I, I had no idea how much of a ride she was going to be in for. Yeah. And I remember, first of all, I remember at the end of the first giant mega chase scene, you know, the one where everybody's getting sucked into the freaking sky. Yes. <laughs> and more, hum it's like more amazing stunts happen in the space of about 15 minutes than have ever happened on a screen ever. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, and then you may remember that the end of it is like a flare or something yeah. lands on the ground and the flares out in the darkness. And then suddenly it's darkness and you realize, okay, an act of insane action has ended and i think it just lasted an hour and that was like the most amazing thing and the audience went nuts it was like hmm. i can't believe how long of a thrill ride we've been on and i remember looking over at my girlfriend and she was looking at me and she was like what the fuck kind of movie is this <laughs> she was like, what have you gotten me into she had no idea like in a, like in a in good a, way in a good in a good way, way. Okay, good, yeah good, good. it was like you didn't tell me this was going to happen yeah that felt really amazing like i had kind of uh, initiated somebody or something into a sure a realm well, you um you brought up a topic that um tyler and i both feel very passionately about uh the opening night thing like the mm. the idea of it used to be and this is, mm -hmm. as soon as you start talking about how sure. it used to be, you sound like an old man, but it used to be, if you wanted to see a movie first, you had to stay up till midnight on Thursday and see the midnight screening. And I did mm -hmm. that at, at the old, before they redid it, the old Chinese, I, I, I yeah. saw Clo uh, Cloverfield there. I saw, I want to say Harry Potter six half blood mm -hmm. Prince, uh, mm -hmm. like at, at, at midnight. I've, I've done that for other movies. Cavern in the woods. I saw it at midnight saw going all the way back to saw might've wow. been the first, like, thursday midnight thing um that i remember seeing and uh and now they start showing movies at fucking like 6 30 p.m on thursday or whatever it's not it's not meaningful like yeah. it used to oh i, I mean, saw the batman because i was excited to see it being the riddler fan that i am i saw the batman at 3 p.m on, on thursday. A thursday that's how yeah. did that feel uh i mean it was neat because like oh this is the very first show that i showing that i can that i can see but i I am kind of with you, David. Yeah. Which is like, it felt like, like cheating. Sure. Yeah, it's <laughs> like 
this that's should, right. This is this is very yeah very old man. It's like this should cost you something. <laughs> like being able to see it for first should cost you something, and what it should cost it could cost you any number of things. But in this case, like sleep, you should be yeah. tired the next day because. It's like, you know what? I'm exhausted at work, but it's for a reason. And but when your friends at work are talking about on that Friday are talking yeah. about, hey, we're going to see Cabin in the Woods last night, you know, I saw it. Yeah, I've I'm already better, seen it. I've I'm already got that on the bias. Than these sheep. <laughs> yes, absolutely. You Cabin in the Woods, by the way, another movie that I was uh, actually quite disappointed in and have uh, returned to and tried to make myself like it the way that I feel like a lot of my friends do. And I, I can't. I can't like fun. Cabin in the Woods. I want. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I, still, I still like it a lot, but I, 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 your, your points against it are well taken. I'm not enough of a horror buff to know how good or bad it is, but it's one of those things where it's like I saw it because it kind of it's a bit of a crossover movie. Mm-hmm. Even if you're not a horror buff, it's the kind of thing where it's like, oh, that, it sounds like fun, and it was fun. I have a feeling that if you're a horror buff, you're like, this could have done more for me as a horror buff. Do you think that's what's going on? Uh, no, I think, I, I think I've just had a, like, uh, I've, I've become very, cause I came of age as a movie fan in the nineties and like, speaking of horror, like things like scream and like self-awareness, like wh- I remember when that felt fresh and now I feel like movies being overly self-aware is almost is lazy in, in, in a lot of ways. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Um, I do remember though, the ending of that movie, which uh, spoiler alert. We'll give yeah, people a second. It's 10 years um, old. <laughs> I'm not going to mention what happens, but I will tell you the, the the style, which won't come as a surprise, I think, to horror movie fans. is It's a pretty unhappy ending. It's not. Yeah. It doesn't end yeah. well. And I remember thinking, I haven't seen enough horror movies, but I've seen enough horror movies to know that that is not atypical. And because I hadn't seen a lot of horror movies up until seeing that for a while, it was like, oh, yeah, like this is the genre. This is like the one popular genre where not only can you end a movie unhappily, you probably should. And that's pretty <laughs> amazing. That's an and, amazing thing. And people can walk out happy that you have ended it unhappily. Yeah, uh, it's it is it is kind of weird in that regard. I'd say, I mean, obviously stuff like film noir, somehow the the more fatalistic the ending, the more upbeat people are when they this walk out somehow. But uh, but yeah, horror is is uniquely that yeah uh, and that's and well i think you've so kinda, uh, oh sorry go on um the thing you're taught you're getting in, in horror movie horror movies is actually something i think we're planning on talking about for in october this year oh, well, uh, with, a, with a with a guest like uh the question of why people like what they like uh sure. in in horror but uh there is definitely you know i've um uh, as uh, anyone who listens to the show or at least listen to the beginning of this episode knows like I do listen to metal. I like metal. And I do think there is a lot of overlap in uh, there being a certain sort of uh, catharsis or release in, in being like, Hey, every, other people feel like everything is fucking awful. Too. <laughs> oh, I say that. And, oh, absolutely. Uh, and, and, and so I think there's, there's a, it's, there are many reasons there's probably a lot of overlap between metalheads and horror horror fans. Um, but that's one of them. Sure. By the way, speaking of which I, I heard you, I don't know if this, if with the ad read that you did earlier is actually going to be on this episode. It is. Yeah, is that it, is. There's, then okay, there's so a can, second ad that will also be dropped in that will be not us reading it. Okay. So I can refer to what you said yes. and yes. people will know what the hell I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh, you were talking about teeth grinder. Yeah. That's the Dutch band. Does a metal band teeth grinder. Yes. Yes. Okay. 
I used to be in an indie rock band in Pittsburgh, which is why I feel safe with bringing it up. Cause I'm just, it's just a call back to a couple of things, mm-hmm. even though it has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but it was called stump grinder. And as a, a heavy metal fan, I think, and as a horror fan, I think you would like the uh, stump grinder because their uh, logo was the word stump grinder written in kind of like twisted gnarled oh, wood, yeah. as you might imagine. Sure. And then hanging from the S, it was a long, long chain. It was not a very uh, uh, wise, I would say, logo because you couldn't fit it on a bumper sticker, definitely. It was a right, very. Right long so but hang a long chain at the end of which was what i was told was a body that had had its legs arms and uh arms and head ripped off but you well, i would say grinded off right? you, or ground off i guess they were ground off but you had to have someone tell you that because the body right. with all of its limbs missing just <laughs> yeah. doesn't look like anything <laughs> also is the was the chain was it just like just tied around the trunk uh, there was situation? a hook at the end of the chain and oh, it was hook. piercing okay, got it. Got the it. remainder of the body. I see. I like yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, what I'm told was the remainder of the body. Right. Can we, and now you're reminding somewhere? me that, uh, <laughs> um, you're running there at the end of the show when I was bringing up the handful of things I know about Pittsburgh, I forgot to mention, uh, a band from Pittsburgh, anti-flag. Oh yeah. The, uh, uh, one of my favorite Great. bands when I was a teenager. Yeah. Um, they're, yeah, one of the greatest and, and yeah. important in a lot of ways. Everybody should listen to them, politically yeah. speaking. They're the greatest. Also, Don Caballero, you're a Chicagoan? Don uh, Caballero. Yeah. I mean, origi- I lived in Chicago, yeah. Yeah. Origi- okay. Do you know that band? I do know that band. I didn't, I would, I didn't know they had were, had a Pittsburgh connection. Yes, one of the great prog- math rock bands of the 90s. Their drummer and leader, uh, Damon Shea, uh, is a Pittsburgher. They started in Pittsburgh with almost none of the same... Uh, uh, band members you know how i was talking before about how we talk about the movies that were shot in pittsburgh we'll tell you also about the bands don't the you bands. worry i love that yeah, <laughs> yeah. sorry for um, the digression back to oh, horror come on yeah well, and, yeah, <laughs> well and, i want to talk more about uh movie theater experiences because that's in theory uh what we're talking about uh rico do you have any like midnight movie theater experiences be opening night or, or any other midnight type oh of, so many type oh, of man. shows What's the one that I would most want to talk about? I remember seeing, this is going to date me, but I remember seeing Slacker on its opening night and having this feeling. First of all, the interesting thing about Slacker, if, you, if you've never seen it or if you go back to see it, if you think about Slacker, what you think about it as, as that kind of this fun meandering movie. That's what I think most people think of it as. But if yeah. you actually watch it, many of the storylines are actually pretty downbeat. Like mm-hmm. the, the, a lot of the people in it are kind of lost. And for those who don't know, Sla- everybody listening to this knows Slacker, right? Yeah, yes. Like, okay. So, yeah. but it's like, Audience. it's a, pr- like a lot of people in it are not happy and they, you get this feeling that it's a lot of like crazy people <laughs> wandering around with nothing to do. Kind of like, there's a lot of conspiracy theories going on. There's a lot of like old people who are like, like trying to tell younger people about the past and the younger people not really fully getting it or maybe getting it, but not quite. And people getting, mugged and robberies and all this kind of stuff anyway i remember watching it on opening night and being like this is like more of a downer than i thought it was and yet the ending of that movie which if you don't it's this wonderful sequence where all of this is just a bunch of people running up a bunch of young people running up to the top of a hill with a um 
super eight movie camera. And at the very end, you realize that one of the guys is going to throw, they're shooting each other with a super eight movie camera. They're like uh, photographing each other at the end. The guy throws the super eight movie camera off the edge of the cliff. And we're, I was watching this in the theater. I was just telling you about the one down in downtown Pittsburgh. Although at that point we had moved next door to a smaller theater the big theater was being renovated at long last. But so it wasn't like 1300 people watching Slacker, which would be weird, but it was like, you know, I'd say 400 people or something, 200 people maybe squeezed into that theater. And even though it had been kind of like a night of, oh, this is like more of a downer than I thought it was. It was still this moment of filmmakers just going like, fuck it, and throwing a camera. It was probably everybody in that theater was part of Pittsburgh sure. filmmakers. And it felt like uh, at last they've kind of gotten us on film. There was that vibe wow. back then too, of it being like, yeah, we're meandering and we're slackers, but it's not necessarily fun. We don't really know what we're supposed to be doing with our lives right now, but at the end of it, fuck it, let's make movies. And I remember that being pretty like, uh, uh, how would I describe it? Like uh, intoxicating. It was like uh, people talk about representation on screen. And it felt like the first time that that little weird subgenre of people had been represented. Hmm. And it was interesting seeing it at night on an opening night with a bunch of people psyched to see it. Yeah, I, I, I definitely that's one I definitely did watching it because I was probably a teenager. I saw it once on VHS, and when I was first getting into movies in like a serious like independent way and that seemed like it was a somewhat recent movie at that point and that was like one of the like movies you should see like if, if you're getting into this scene so i think i watched it i didn't i didn't see it with the probably um yeah uh, the much- open eye the open eyes that that i would that you would have seen it with or that i like to think i would have been able to see it with now i was watching it as like okay I'm going to learn about independent film by watching this, this movie. I think that's sure. kind of how I approached it. I, I mean, I definitely remember liking it, but like I said, I mean, I was a teenager. 20 years but, I mean, this is a perfect example of what you were talking about before though, is like the difference of seeing a movie with an audience like that. I think that movie watching it, I've watched it since without an audience. And it, I feel even more the kind of sadness in it or the weirdness in it or this kind of vision of a world where it's like people like maybe should have some direction or or i don't know that there's that kind of a moralistic tone to it but just a a view of a world where like nobody's really got a direction here and where is this all going to end up it feels more like that less than it did in the movie theater where it was kind of like we're all in this together you guys Hmm. and there was actually in the first episode of this uh of this season of movie podcast, there's um, a woman who talks about seeing at the Fulton, actually the theater that I worked at seeing, uh, what is it? What's the uh, 70 millimeter uh, uh, Lawrence of Arabia. Hmm. She talks about seeing Lawrence of Arabia with her kids. Right. And that's, it's a super long movie. And it's like about, you know, geopolitics and things like that. Obviously it's still got like sweeping adventure and stuff in it, but like not a movie that you'd think kids would be like super necessarily into modern day kids. And they were showing it in 70 millimeter at that giant theater. And she was like, we were entranced. We loved it, but it was getting late. There's like literally an intermission in that movie. That's how long it is. And at the intermission, she was like, so we just went home because it was getting late for the kids. So then I got it out on VHS because we wanted to finish watching it. They were so psyched to see it. And she said within five minutes, they, I was the only one watching it. Hmm. And yeah. that is the power of a movie theater is that it yeah. can envelop you enough that you pay attention to it. And I think there is especially a, a kind of, uh, a kind of film that is sweeping and huge, 
but slow moving that almost has to be seen in a movie theater. Like Roma is another great example of this. I saw, I saw it in one of its few, you know, and here in LA, they screened it at some theaters mm-hmm. and in New York, I think too. And I saw it in a theater and was just like, Oh, obviously this is one of the best films of the year. I get it. This is why it's up for best picture. And nobody that watched it on Netflix, which is how most people saw it was like, what's this about? Like, who cares? Yeah, guilty. That's how I saw it. Really? See, I'm telling you, if you see that in yeah. a big theater. No, but I, I, I did like the movie though, but yeah, I would. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that, but I mean, Tyler, you've talked about like Jaws is maybe the movie you've seen the most, but then yeah. like discovering new things about it when you saw it in a, in a theater. I I had a similar experience. I, I saw when um when uh, I can't remember what he called it when when Christopher Nolan oversaw that like unrestoration of two thousand one. Do you remember that? Oh, wow, yeah. Um. Uh. And and they showed that that seventy millimeter print at the at the Arrow in Santa Monica. Which if I if I have to pick Los Angeles area movie theater to be my favorite theater in los angeles it's probably the arrow uh, it's pretty great it's a great theater and it's a, like a cute little part of town um and you got uh father's office just a few blocks away so i usually like i have like it's become part of the ritual that i go like have a burger and a beer or two before yep. going uh, no ketchup to... yeah <laughs> um yeah tyler you would hate father's office uh because <laughs> they do not allow, allow any substitution so you were getting the burger the way that they no ketchup is there's no ketchup anywhere in the building yeah i'm exhausted <laughs> just hearing about this yeah um and infuriated uh but uh i had something else i was gonna say but i wanted to get back so we talked about opening nights but what about separate from that midnight movies like yeah right yeah i mean i i have a a, a number of um experiences sometimes it's about like going to see you know, a cult classic, you know, I think I saw like a clockwork orange at midnight at the Tivoli theater in St. Louis when I was probably like Mm. 17 or 18 or whatever. Uh, but I think maybe my favorite personal favorite midnight movie experience I've ever had is the opposite of that. It was, a, it was at the Toronto international film festival in 2018. And, um, they showed Gaspar Noe's climax at midnight and it was a fucking party. It was, I mean, that, that movie is, that's, it's good to see a movie that is that brutal with, a bunch of people who are of the similar mind being like, holy shit, like <laughs> that person just caught on fire. This is fucking awesome. Like <laughs> that's instead of being at home, like, oh God, what are what kind of human beings are we that we watch this stuff? Instead, it's yeah. kind of like we're human beings that watch this stuff. But also uh, there's also somebody who said you're talking about the movie theater experience, you know, as big as my TV is, you know, I live in there are people near me. I can't watch a movie as loud as I can in the movie theater. And Climax is a movie that is meant to be watched so loud, as loud as the theater at the as the speakers will allow. And it was it was a party. M- Midnight Madness at Toronto. If you ever get the chance to go to the Toronto Film Festival, listeners, I don't know if we've oh, yeah. been, but Midnight yeah. Madness is always a a blast. They're like you know tossing beach balls around before the movies and, and stuff like that. Uh, but climax is that's, that was the way to see that movie. That sounds amazing. I was, I weirdly, this is going to sound like a, a humble brag or something. I, uh, or just a brag. I was act- the only time I've been to the Cannes film festival was when climax was in it. And I couldn't get into that screening, but I somehow have a feeling that it would be a different vibe. <laughs> I think there may have been walkouts at that movie. Actually, that may have been the, the word on the street. Do people um, go to Cannes to walk out of movies? I feel like that's always. I do. Like, I feel like that's true. You you always hear about people walking out of like, what was it? This like Crimes of the Future or whatever. Yeah. Like it's not yeah. like does it does it even mean what? anything anymore when it's yeah. when that's an expected thing? <laughs> and sure. it's also I think 
this is getting insidery. Like, I think we're thinking of people walking out of a movie from the point of view of like a patron who's there to see a movie. There are also a lot of people, at these festivals who are like industry who maybe get 12 minutes into a movie and realize sure. like, oh, sure. this isn't, I, there's no finance. Like there's no money in this for me. Right. Like there's my company is not interested in this and they walk out cause they have other shit to do. Yes. It's not um, so much a, a, a vote of uh, uh, rage as a vote of yeah, money. Yeah. Hmm. Which is, that, that gets to, to, to brag about going to, film festivals also another thing that always it surprised me the first year the first year i went to sundance it surprised me how often people were on their phones in the press and industry screenings i'd be like oh, no. i'm thinking like aren't you like the people who take this the most seriously but it's like it's press and industry people it's people who are yeah. literally working you know um for my job I job i like have to go to screenings sometimes and I, I like i'm at work i can't turn my phone off so like i i have more sympathy for people taking their phones out of press and industry screenings at, sure. at festivals than i ever thought i would oh yeah absolutely to you're saying to take notes they're not like talking in the back of the theater or something right? no they're taking notes or they're saying yeah, like uh you texting. know texting like let's make an offer we yeah, this yeah. isn't for us or something i don't know what they're texting i'm not in that side of things but you've uh, been to south by southwest right I've never been to South by Southwest because I can, because like I said, I have a job job. I only have so many days off a year. <laughs> I like to use most of them for actual vacations with my wife. So like festival wise, it's Sundance and TIFF and then Comic-Con. The I only got it. I, do. I bring it up because South by Southwest is basically no matter whether you're there for the film thread or for interactive or for movies, basically the entire festival is just your phone blowing up, telling you what you're missing. It's just, <laughs> No matter what you're watching, there's somebody telling you like, get over, stop it, whatever you're doing. It's not as fun as where I am. And it sucks. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I've, I've never been to like an actual film festival. Now, of course I say that uh, I've gone to the international Christian film festival uh, several years wow. in a row. I will repeat what I said. Uh, I've never <laughs> been to a real film festival uh, <laughs> in my life. Uh, and when I hear, when I hear people talk about it, even though on one level, I'm sure it'd be very, it'd be invigorating to be in the middle of that. But I also worry it'd be exactly what you're talking about. Like, no matter what choice you have made, yeah. you're missing out on something else. Yeah. And even if the thing you're watching is, is, is great and satisfying, there's always this feeling. It's like, yeah, but what if I like this other thing more? Or mm -hmm. what if this, what if this other thing that I decided not to go to is the thing that everyone's talking about? And I'm yep. the one that didn't see it. Uh, obviously there'd be plenty of other people that didn't see it. But, uh, but it's like, oh, great. Now everyone has a take on this movie that I didn't see because I was busy seeing this other thing. It sounds actually. I so know now you just I'm, don't go I'm to the not... festivals and then you don't you miss all of it. Problem. You don't solved. have any takes on exactly. it. Exactly. <laughs> Let somebody else curate it for you. Yeah. That's a, that sounds There we nice. go. Yes. Um, be, yeah. It's not SXSW. It's FOMO. <laughs> yeah. Uh, wait, I, I, I talked about Climax. Do you have any other either of you have any other great like midnight movie uh, experiences? I remember seeing uh, um, uh, uh, Akira. I, I remember at one birthday, the one of my major birthday, maybe when I was 30, I can't remember like which birthday it was, but it was uh, for some reason I thought, no, it couldn't have been that. I, yeah, I don't know. I decided, I thought, or maybe it was a friend of mine. It was a friend of mine. He was turning some major age and had decided that he wanted to see in rapid succession Clockwork Orange, which was playing at some rep house in Pittsburgh. And then across the way, like uh, uh, downtown, he wanted to see a late night showing of Akira. And the thing I mainly remember was, oh, that sounds great. It'll be a night of just like crazy, like, you know, 
dystopic, you know, nuttiness. But after about like, first of all, after a clockwork orange, that's enough. That's enough apocalypticness yeah. for yeah. one evening. And then it was just like Akira that you, you know, as much as I like Akira, the ending of Akira is just like endless. It's just people screaming Akira and Tetsuo over and over again, while like grotesque things explode <laughs> basically. And I, yeah. I remember feeling like, I, I don't think this is fun. I, sh- I should be having more fun. I should have done one or the other. <laughs> Sorry, that's not like the best midnight movie. No, but now you see, I can, we can't keep you here all night, but like there are so many things I could talk about, which, uh, but you just reminded me of like um, strange double features, you know, because mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. like one night um, uh, in St. Louis, my my friend and I went to see, like in the theater, it was like, a, you know, it was out at the time. We went to see Road to Perdition. And oh, then wow. we went to the Tivoli, which are the aforementioned Tivoli, uh, because they were showing The Princess Bride at midnight. So it was a <laughs> Road to Perdition, The Princess Bride uh, double feature. But that's the right direction to go. It's like, yeah. you know, <laughs> right. That's true. Wash that's your true. palette with some delicious Princess Bride. That's a wonderful movie. Yeah. And then the other, like, I, the uh, award season creates strange bedfellows because I'm trying to, like, go to, like, award screenings all the time. Mm-hmm. So I remember the weirdest one. I wish I could remember for sure the order. I think it was this order. I think it was Lauren Poitras's Citizen Four, the Edward Snowden documentary, oh, right. followed by Tim Burton's Big Eyes. <laughs> oh boy, <laughs> it was a very weird back to back to do there. I so uh, December twenty nineteen, um, I went to two just you know not award screenings but just two critic screenings in the same day, and that's the thing is like a a. And there was like a little maybe two hour break in between. Um, and that's the thing about a double feature is it, it, you start to see things in pers- sort of it changes mm. your perspective. So, you know, on Rotten Tomatoes, there aren't that many fresh reviews of cats, <laughs> but one of them is mine. And if I oh. had not, and if I had not seen, although if you read my review, you'll see it's just like it's it's a very conflicted, <laughs> weird review. But here's the thing: had I seen, if that had been the only film I had seen that day, I would I I feel like it probably would have been a a a, a rotten review or a mm, rotten okay. rating. But earlier that day, I had seen Star Wars: The Rise of Skywalker, mm-hmm. and I found that movie to be with a couple of exceptions, tremendously uninspired. Hmm. And it really bothered me. And then you see Cats, which as batshit crazy as it is, I wouldn't say it's uninspired. It surprised me in a lot of ways. Uh, You know, the way train wrecks tend to do. Um, But that's the thing, if I hadn't seen, if I hadn't been so just disappointed by just like all the studio calculations Mm. of rise of skywalker i might not have found cats to be refreshing which i which i did uh in its own way and so uh that was a double feature where there were no winners coming out of that uh i realized like in retrospect i probably would change my rating of cats but whatever i'm not going to do that now um and i'm uh, proud of i'm proud of the review that i wrote um sure it sounds and, like you're uh, honest and so, but yeah, it's uh, a double feature can, can really screw things up for you. You can, it, it only takes two movies for you to, uh, to immediately lose perspective on either one of them. 
It's interesting. Um, uh, one of the episodes of the season is about the Scala Cinema in London, um, and it's which was an amazing place, but it was known for its all-nighters. the The Scala, by the way, was uh, in the eighties. Was it was like this mecca for all subcultures in England, basically, um, and because they also had bands perform and stuff like factory records bands would play there as well and stuff. And Mary Heron, who was in that episode and mm. went to that theater, this is actually before she was a director before she did American psycho and stuff. She was writing, she was American, but she was living in London writing for melody maker. And she went because it was a factory records night, but, and saw like bands like a certain ratio or something, but then stuck around for a um, Russ Meyer and eat like an all nighter of Russ Meyer, which she'd never seen before. And she talked about falling asleep in the theater. she was like, this is what would happen at an all nighter. There is that like around two or 3 AM you'd fall asleep and you'd like sort of have a dream. And then you'd wake up from your dream and look up on screen and you weren't sure like what was your dream and what was on screen. <laughs> and, and I was kind of like, I'm trying to imagine somebody who has never seen Russ Meyer before, like sure. waking from a dream and there's just a screen full of breasts. <laughs> and what, <laughs> what does one make of that? That is a singular experience, I think. Although actually, this is something I want to post to you. This is something I've okay. been thinking about a lot, which is that I'm, I'm definitely a geek. If you guys looked at me, you'll see how much of a geek I am. And I've probably been into every geek thing that one could be in, in the you know, latter 20th, early 20th century, except I've never gone to Rocky Horror Picture Show, speaking of midnight movies. Neither have uh, I. I've only ever seen it like on like, well, VHS and DVD. Now I have Blu-ray now, but I've, yeah, I've never yeah. seen it with a, with a crowd. What is wrong with us? Oh, I, I think we're fine. Um, <laughs> I, uh, it, yeah, it's, and when I hear about that experience, it's like, I'll bet it's a fun experience up to a point, but I know me <laughs> and I know that even though I'm, I have signed up for the Rocky horror picture show experience, people are going to throw a fucking toast at the screen or whatever it is. Uh, and people are going to like shout things out. And I know that's the experience, but part of me the is going to instinctively be like, uh, can we all keep it down? There's a movie playing. Uh, and I feel like I, I'm not the I'm not the target audience for that experience. Are you serious? Like, really, you don't think that you would? I mean, I'm not saying you'd no, have to. I think I probably but... I think I'd probably be able to to enjoy that experience. And I feel like I, I probably. Uh, but you know, what? I, I feel like I would enjoy half of it. And then I'd be like, I can't I, I get it. Like, yeah, I, yeah. I get what this is. And I was kind of like the... I'd probably grow tired of it. I was kind of like that with the room. I was, I, I went to the room, a complete novice. I had no idea what to expect. I did not know, even though it had been playing for a while, I didn't know the whole lore about it. And yeah. I just had a friend be like, just show up and bring spoons. And it started sure. off and it is remarkable. I mean, like, there's no question it is worthy of, you know, making the biopic and all that kind of stuff. It is like a truly remarkable, it's rare that a movie that bad can be that watchable in certain ways, but yeah. like halfway through the experience, I also was like, not only do I get it, like you were saying, but also there was an, a, a tinge of meanness to it not in oh, yes. just a tinge there's like a real sexist slant to some of the you know stuff that is you're ritualistically supposed to be saying to the screen about some of the characters mm. and it, it whereas i think rocky horror picture show it would be like oh look at all these nice people like playing with gender and yeah. like enjoying this classic and you know full of stars and oh meatloaf this is right <laughs> yeah we only, and, we and hardly and knew you there's a lot of genuinely good stuff. And a lot of that music at the very least is sure. really good. Right. Whereas just the nature of, uh, I, I forget who it was. It might've been, 
I think it might have been Jonathan Rosenbaum, but it also it was somebody it was some Chicago writer uh, who was who was talking about that documentary uh, Best Worst Movie. And he talked about like, you know, enjoying a bad movie, whether it be at home with your friends or out in the theater. It's a young man's game. Mm, it's the mm. kind of thing where you when you've got the time, you're like, hey, this will be fun. But when you when you're older, it's like, I think I'd rather be watching a good movie. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. And, and yeah. with something like Rocky Horror Picture Show, like, yeah, it's not perfect, but there's still plenty of things that you can actually enjoy yeah, right. on yeah. its own. And I think that's why I might not enjoy the Rocky Horror Picture Show experience, because I would just want to enjoy <laughs> the movie. On I do. Own. I do like the movie. I watched yeah. it. Um Halloween 2020 quarantine Halloween. Sure. Um, interesting. My, my wife and I just did like a movie marathon and I think we watched scream first and then we watched the conjuring, which is like a legitimately scary movie. Mm -hmm. And my wife was like, we need to end with something that is like, I'm going to be able to go to bed, not thinking about like demons and witches and shit. So we yeah. ended our mar movie marathon with Rocky horror picture show. Yeah. It was a perfect ending to uh, a Halloween of watching movies and eating an entire jack-o'-lantern shaped pizza <laughs> by myself because my wife is vegetarian and you can't get them without pepperoni. It turns out. Mine too. Uh, boy. <laughs> um, that's fantastic. I, I mean, I feel like I've never watched the Rocky horror picture show even off, uh, you know, in any form. Hmm. And I feel like it's because, because I, on some level, I think I'm going to see it. I don't know who I'm kidding. As we've mentioned, I sure. have a toddler. I'm not going to the Rocky Horror Picture Show for the next right. yeah. 15 years. Are you kidding me? Do you but, remember? Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, the, I mean, I think that's it. I'm just, okay. I guess. But on some level, I feel like I don't want to see it unless it's in those environs. But you're saying no. that I should. I guess. It's, 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 it's worth, I think it's worth watching. Um I was going to ask, does anyone but me remember the episode of the Drew Carey show oh, <laughs> where there's a, a rivalry between like Drew and his friends like to go to the midnight like uh, movie of Rocky Horror Picture Show. But there's a younger generation of weirdos who want to watch Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert at midnight. And there's a rivalry between the Rocky Horror fans and the Priscilla fans. No, uh, uh, I don't remember idea. that. That's Isn't that? A, yeah, it's like it's a very uh, specific memory. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's. A, I guess it was. I, I don't know. I feel like I never. Unlike like Seinfeld and shit, like Drew Carey show is like not in, you, you don't turn on the TV yeah. and Drew Carey show is on. So I don't, I don't think I've seen any episodes since it aired. I remember liking it at the time. It has a great cast. Uh, and, and Drew I Carey remember, well, yeah. And, and to his, and in true Seinfeld fashion, like he's willing to let a lot of the other actors get the punchlines. I'm sure. Uh, which I always really liked. Uh, and I think, uh, yeah, that I mean, probably... Diedrich, Diedrich Bader has gone on to become one of my just favorite character actors, especially comedic character. Yes. Actors. I'm always happy when Diedrich Bader shows up in something. And I think it was probably my introduction to Craig Ferguson, uh, as his boss. Uh, and oh, he's wow. wonderful, uh, in that show, but yeah, it's a show that is for whatever reason, there just doesn't seem to be much call to, for reruns or, or syndication or anything like that, which I don't know. I don't think there's anything particularly wrong with the show. I guess it's just seen as like not a vital show of its own. <laughs> but also maybe it has vital to do with the fact that word. Drew Carey is on TV every day and has been for mm -hmm. like 15 years or whatever, you know, as a, like the, the price is right. Uh, uh, host dude. Um, what, uh, another question for, I'm going to throw out to the, I could feel the, it coming. That's why, that's why I didn't yeah. fill that void. I knew it was. Coming. Yeah. So I, um, Rico, what are, uh, uh, other than is it wait, is it called the Fulton now, or it's called, uh, now it is called the Biome theater. Biome. Okay. It is, it has been um, uh, renovated and it's now does not show movies. It is a uh, live theater. Okay. 
Hardly even know him. Um, yes. <laughs> what are some of your other favorite movie theaters that you've been to? Oh man, that's a great, the one that immediately comes to mind. And it's not, I'm finding out that this is not like a necessarily hip thing to say. I think it's shared by a lot of people, which is the Tuchinsky theater in Amsterdam. Oh. Um, uh, it is one of the most beautiful movie theaters in the world and hard to describe. I mean, I guess it's, uh, art modern maybe or Beaux-Arts. i don't know exactly what you call it the outside of it looks gothic as hell it looks like the bat tower is realized by hr geiger or something it's like totally insane um but you go inside and it's like all curving and this beautiful um carpet that's also kind of got like arcing colors and things and everything is in that kind of 1930s font kind of like long and elegant font and you go into the theater which is round the main theater is round it's it's attached to modern theater and the kind of the same way as the Cinerama Dome in LA. Yeah. And you go and it's kind of rounded and the um, ceiling has as many old movie palaces do. It has a kind of, you know, chandelier kind of thing, except because of its era, it's from this kind of like thirties Dutch era. It's like this very geometric, it's really hard for me to describe, but it's almost like hex like lines coming out of the center, kind of like triangular lines coming around from the center with like hexagons, I think, or maybe octagons at the end of each one. But it's almost like this crazy, I don't know, a, a geometric spider above you, but it's beautiful. And the sound is like freaking fantastic. It is just gorgeous. I think that like Marlena Dietrich did the ribbon cutting or something at it or something. It also has a very sad history because the guy who built it, I believe was Jewish and then died in the Holocaust. Mm. So going there is maybe a tribute to him too, which is always nice. Mm. And it is, it's just amazing. And it's also amazing because it's this incredible palace and it's in a very kind of touristy part of town. So it's like, you can go to a weed shop nearby and then like walk into this, like <laughs> just incredible place. That place is amazing. Um, that's the, I love the Cinerama dome, but you were actually saying Tyler, uh, about, you know, not wanting to see movies on the side, like in the Cinerama dome, you cannot see a movie from the side. Right. If you, there's a reason why those seats are never sold. And so it's not like, that's, what's weird about it. It's cool, but it's not perfect. It's like a totally imperfect theater and it's a modern theater. So it shouldn't be quite so imperfect. The reason is because it's got a Cinerama screen and we're showing regular yeah. aspect ratio movies on it. And yet nobody goes like, you should change that screen because movies don't look good on it in right. like a quarter of the theater. Everybody's yeah. just like, nope, you're keeping that screen. I don't care. I, I feel I'm torn about it because I actually, for a brief period, worked at the Arclight, which means I worked at the Cinerama oh, Dome back wow. in like 2007. So I saw, I'm trying to think early 2007, what I saw, I saw Disturbia on the, uh, wow. <laughs> in the Cinerama Dome. I'm trying to, what, what else? Um, Hot Fuzz might have come out uh, at at that time, but um, although you and I saw that uh, when you worked at uh, ArcLight, you and I saw that just on a regular screen. Regular together. screen, so I didn't. Yeah. No, oh, I remember. I uh, I did the ArcLight greeter thing for Hot Fuzz in the Cinerama Dome, which is it's fun to be the uh, people who don't know Los Angeles and know the ArcLight. The uh, it's not around anymore, sadly, uh, pandemic uh, casualty. But uh, the person, the there's a greeter who would come out and say, hey, thank you for coming to the ArcLight. The movie you're about to see is X. It stars X. It's however many minutes long. And there's a whole spiel about like uh, people come find someone who's dressed like me. If there are any problems with the sound or all. Anyway, uh, can't believe I still remember all this 15 years later. But um, wow. uh, I remember um, 
greet. It was fun to greet in the Cinerama Dome because that's the only one that's big enough that you had to have a microphone to greet. So I got to talk into a microphone. And I remember it was like opening night for Hot Fuzz and Jeremy Piven was in the audience. And I kept what? like, I kept like trying to do my greeter thing and be like, don't try to make eye contact with Jeremy Piven. But I kept like looking at Jeremy Piven. Um, but I, I quit you that job. Say not- you something like, you know, and by the way, let's give a big round of applause. We got somebody famous in the audience, Jeremy <laughs> yeah. Piven, ladies and gentlemen, been just getting decked or something. Oh yeah. No, that's, I could tell so many stories about like, um, um, uh, celebrities coming to see weird movie, like Mike Tyson coming to see breaking and entering, um, <laughs> Kevin McDonald coming to see the lives of others. Sure. Uh, Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Just, it was always a, 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 a weird thing. Oh, I think, I- um, uh, common saw i don't know if common like had a kid or like a niece or nephew but common came in and saw the last mimsy at one point uh this is this very a, specific early 2007 go ahead i yeah. sold the ticket at the fulton theater because mr rogers is from pittsburgh oh. so mr rogers came in and i sold him a ticket to see i don't know if you know this movie salam bombay the mira nair movie i've never seen it but yeah it is Wait, brutal. Yes, it I is have. A, I do like that movie. Yeah. It's a freaking amazing movie, but it is a brutal movie about utter abuse of children who are kind of like homeless in mm. Mumbai. Yeah. And it's like, of course, Mr. Rogers went. It's like yeah. Mr. Rogers wanted to see how bad it could get because he wanted to keep kids happy. Yeah. It was, that was amazing. Sorry. That's, continue. That's great. Yeah. That's, I mean, that we could do a whole episode on, on movies about like, that are like, kid miserable kids miserable poor kids like the like yeah city of god and and Pichot, uh, over in brazil and you've got slum Bombay and slow dog millionaire in, in india yeah. and you've got a lot of there's like a, whole, a barrel of laughs yeah there's a whole uh subgenre we could do um, an entire section but, on uh, dickens adaptations <laughs> the um i wanted to go back to the arc like in greeting movies because of the the last thing i want to say like i quit shortly after this happened because i had been working as a PA and I had like a fallow period. And that's when I worked at the Arclight for a few months. And I felt particularly depressed when I was standing in my like blue Arclight uniform, introducing a movie that I had worked on and was in the credits. Of. <laughs> and I obviously didn't say that, but I was like, I are you kidding? That's the most I, Hollywood thing yeah. <laughs> ever. I was like, I got to find another PA job. Uh, just get out, get out of this. That crystallizes but, uh, everything that you need to know about Hollywood. <laughs> frankly, it's like a oh, glamorous. Yeah. I'll show yeah. you glamorous. In retrospect, it's very, yeah, it's very La La Land. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that I had that. Um, uh, Tyler, favorite movie theaters. You know, it's, uh, I'll say that there, there are several in, in Chicago that I liked. Um, one of them, you know, speaking of uh, pandemic casualties, I loved that theater up in Evanston. Um, it was, okay. it was really great. And the idea that it was kind of split between you had sort of your, your artsy side and then your mainstream side, uh, and the artsy side had those, that giant wall of like old school movie posters and a little bar and that sort of thing. I really love that theater and it, partially because of just the time in my life uh, when I, when I would go there. Um, and also in Chicago, uh, I liked the, um, oh my gosh, now I can't think of it. Mm. Was it a, was it a, a, a landmark? Oh, the landmark. Yeah. The landmark. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's, that theater's still there. Uh, Jen and I went to Chicago a few, a few years ago and, and went to see a couple movies there and it was really marvelous. I always like that theater. But that um, like, I, there's like, cause I agree. Like there is something to be said for like, I have warm memories, memories of a certain movie theater because of the movies I saw there, that landmark is weird. It's like, 
it's like an MC Escher type of thing. Cause it it's is. like, it's like seven floors and like, you have to go up weird walkways to get to either yes. thing. And there are literally like, there's one theater that I swear has like obstructed view seats where there's a fucking pillar in the middle of the yeah. the, the theater. I think they you make, and I, you and I saw the United States it. of Leland in, in that theater. We sure did. <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, there's yeah. So there's, yeah, that is there, amazing. I've never thought about this, but there are. I've I've never been in a movie theater with an obstructed seat. <laughs> what are you talking about? I mean, I think I'm exaggerating, but it was weird, like how close there was, like there was to a to a to a pillar that you could have, yeah. like, okay. if I'm like, I can't lean on my left uh, armrest. I have to lean to the right or something. Yeah, got it. Yeah. Um, and then now I will say that, like, I I really liked the music box in Chicago, but from what I have heard. It is not what it used to be. Like, is that it's, true? It's kind of fallen into disrepair. The sound is apparently not that good. Oh, that's now. awful. Um, mm-hmm. And just they haven't really been doing. I think it's. I think it was like under new management or something like that. But like yeah. friends of mine that still live in in Chicago and that I I went to the music box when we lived there. I went with them, um, and they have said they've said since then. Yeah, it's it's really not what it used to be, which is definitely uh, too bad to hear. Yeah, I could, that was, that was yeah. a solid theater. I could list um, off so many movies I saw at the at the music box. I don't know, yeah. Rico, if you know Chicago, if you've been to the music box. It's I've not a, been to the music box, but I love theater. Chicago. Uh, I'm yeah, sure so the, the, the main theater is beautiful. It has like clouds painted on the ceiling. Yep. Oh, and right. then there's a little side theater that like is like a little garden. Um, oh, it's got like fake like vines and stuff. But oh, uh, was it one yeah, of these saw... atmospheric theaters that was built back in the day? Yeah, I guess that's. Yeah, you would probably know more than I would about uh, that sort when of you, thing, but I think that... I mean, it reminds me of the Arrow. I mean, I... I uh, oh. Yeah, but the Arrow end, doesn't end have... Of the, end of the Egyptian a little bit. Yeah. Uh, in terms of, like, size and layout, for sure, but it, the, the Arrow doesn't have as much uh, decor. Yeah. True. Yeah, ornamentation is great, yeah. Um, but I'm trying to think, like, yeah, that... Because it, Ty, the first place... Tyler and I lived in uh, Chicago together. The fir- Our first apartment together was... And it wasn't like a quick walk, but it was walking distance to the music box. And I used to go see stuff there all the time because they would do like, and this is in an era pre-DCP. So everything I'm I, I'm seeing there, I'm seeing like on 35 uh, millimeters. I remember walking and seeing like The Great Escape at 11 a.m. I think, Tyler, you and I went and see, saw The Scarlet Empress, right? At the yeah. at, at that theater. And then a bunch of you know new movies too. I saw like uh, Coffee and Cigarettes and the saddest music in the world. New at the time, obviously those movies are 20 years old now, but uh, a lot of great, a lot of great memories uh, there. The last time I was in Chicago was 10 years ago. Uh, I was there for my 30th birthday and uh, my wife, I wanted to go to the, the, the music box. Cause my wife, she wasn't my wife then, but uh, she'd never been to Chicago. And I was like, you got to go see this, this theater. And the only thing that was playing was sleepwalk with me that Michael oh, Pico, uh, oh, yeah. movie, which I didn't really like that much and felt like I wish they were showing something like more momentous, but I guess I'll go see this like sort of charming uh, autobiographical indie just to show my, then girlfriend the 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 music box yeah. uh i should also uh, mention that in my hometown of taft california they do have a two-screen theater uh called the fox theater it is uh, like a an uh, an old school theater i think it was built in maybe like the 40s or 50s um and it was it was uh, you know in it was open when i was a kid and i saw a number of movies there uh, and then it closed for a while and then it reopened a few years ago. Uh, it is still open. It's still operational. And if, and if you look up Fox Theater Taft, California, you'll see like they, they really have worked to 
maintain like that sort of that vintage classic feel both inside and outside. Uh, I went to, uh, I've gone to visit uh, Taft a few times and I, and I've gone to that theater to see like, have they tried to modernize it? And they really, they, they really haven't as far as like decor, you, you walk in and you really feel like you're seeing a movie. It's beautiful. I'm looking at photos online right now. It's, it's, it's gorgeous. And it really, and it's unfortunate because again, my, my hometown of uh, Taft is, I mean, it's, it's shrinking. Uh, People are moving away. A lot of businesses are closing, uh, including the, including, you know, the, the businesses on either side of the Fox theater. Uh, But it is consistently, you know, it's one of those theaters where they'll have like maybe two showings a day or something like that. Uh, But it is uh, consistently popular and, Uh, The last time I went, uh, I was so excited to be going and I was getting my my popcorn at this like, you know, gorgeous uh, concession stand in there. And and I was telling uh, the person behind the counter, they're they're like, oh, I've I haven't been to this theater in in 30 years. And I'm I'm so excited. Uh, The person uh, did not give a shit. Um, (laughs) And uh, I guess I shouldn't be surprised by that. But uh, but it was very uh, it was very exciting for me. It's like, great, you're going to tip me. Yeah, exactly. I did throw a little dollar in the cup. So there's that. Nice. So made it rain. uh, So, yeah, I do. Um, I do love that theater. uh, It's really cool looking. When we were talking about. Chicago, you mentioned the music box, but also uh, I saw many movies of the biograph, which is uh, the movie sure. that um, Dillinger was killed out front of. Uh, yeah. He was exiting the biograph. And I saw somebody was telling me that it's like, you should do uh, uh, it was on a podcast. I was being, I can't remember, but uh, they were like, you should do uh, an episode about the biograph, but it seems like the only thing that happened. That's really amazing about the biograph happened outside the biograph, which is yeah. yes. getting shot. Can you do yeah. a whole episode about that? You could interview me about seeing the four feathers or confessions of a dangerous mind <laughs> at that theater. So, um, and then Tyler, what was the super old, tiny little theater where we saw Mulholland Drive? What was that called? Penny, Three Penny, Three Penny Opera? Three Is that penny. what it's called? Just the Three Penny. I think it's just yeah. the Three Penny. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's uh, right. And, I, and yeah. I think we also saw Kid Stays in the Picture there. Yes. Uh, that sounds right. Yeah. I think we did. Yeah. Yeah. That's a movie. Um, is that movie different on screen? I feel I've only watched that on video. I guess I've I only it. watched it. It worked. I only watched me. it the one time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you reminded me, uh, speaking of smallish towns, my, my, when my mom was a teenager, she worked at a movie theater, uh, just outside of St. Louis in Sunset Hills, Missouri called the Sunset Hills cinema, I think. And she would, is told these stories that like, cause now movies like, you know, they're in the theater and then they're fucking streaming, you know, a m- month and a half later. My mom worked at this theater for over a year and it was one of those theaters that had like a big theater and then like one or two small theaters. And the two small theaters would like cycle through movies all the time. In the entire time that she worked at the theater, the only movies that ever played on the big screen were The Sting and The Godfather Part Two, because movies would just stay in yeah. theaters for eight, nine months. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, there's a uh, we talk about on the show the Westgate Theater, in which was in suburban Minneapolis. It's not there anymore. In a suburb called what is now Edina, in a neighborhood called Morningside, part of Edina, and that is where Harold and Maude played for it, a single screen theater. It's a local, like just a you know second run theater. They managed to get Harold and Maude after it came out and flopped, and they uh-huh. kept it for over two years. And wow. arguably that was the theater that turned it into a thing. 
And it's like back then you could, that could happen because there was no competition. Like you could have something out there for two years. There were actually, there was a point, <laughs> there was a point where the locals started protesting the theater because they were sick of only one movie playing there because it was their <laughs> local theater. Like there was nothing else to see for two years, basically. Because Harold was taking up the only screen. Um, it's like, it was a different time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm not sure that like, uh, there's enough independence anymore for, for theaters to be able to, to well, do things like that. It, they don't have like free reign anymore. Well, I also think you couldn't, I mean, there are, th I mean, I, I think we're lucky here in LA. We have places like brain dead and, and, uh, you know, even new Beverly and stuff like that, they can do whatever they want, but yeah but they wouldn't show a movie for two years solid yeah. because there's too much competition guys. <laughs> yeah. I just went, I actually just went to brain dead for the, for the first time. I'm glad someone is doing something with that space. I've lived in Los Angeles long enough that I was going to that before it was Cine family when it was the silent movie theater yeah. called that. Uh, and then yeah, Cine family where I had plenty of good memories, all of them obviously tainted now by the terrible uh, facts yeah. that have, that have that have come out so i'm glad that something's doing something in that in that theater and brain dead seems nice i've only seen one thing there so far but by the way you know the guy that ran cine family and is now disgraced his production company produced the new movie about alex jones which seems oh. just about right <laughs> <laughs> makes uh, a lot of sense Incidentally, yeah. uh, I was looking up uh, some details about the Fox Theater uh, in Taft. Uh, I was way off as far as when it was uh, first built. Uh, 1918. What? Wow. So uh, and, and then it was incorporated into like the Fox uh, Theater chain in 1930 and then uh, sort of uh, redesigned and all that. But yeah, it's been around a while. It is beautiful. And I love that. I love little small town, like beautiful, small, like neighborhood theaters is just speaks of a different era in so many ways. Yeah. Somebody would build something that grand. Like I used to live, I mentioned, I lived in Morgantown. There was a theater there that I think it was the Warner theater. First of all, it was weird because there was a time when I lived in Morgantown, West Virginia, and it had like a bunch of theaters. Like mm -hmm. it's not, it's a college town, but it's not that big a town, but like the one theater, I think it was called the Warner theater is like a palace. It was like a miniature <laughs> palace inside. Yeah. Made in West Virginia. Like somebody cared enough that they thought that enough people would go, that they should have this luxurious experience in this like pretty little town. It's uh, it's like, I love it going into places like that. It just speaks yeah. of a kind of optimism. That is um, come by. We should probably wrap up. Um, yes. Yes. Oh, my, yes, but, yes. uh, yeah, cause it was going, uh, almost, uh, 90 minutes. Um, oh, Jesus. um, but you, Tyler, you didn't, you, you did remind me of speaking of super old theaters and, um, speaking of the Chicago area, did you ever go out to Wilmette and go to the Wilmette theater that was built in 1914? So it actually beats the, the, the Fox theater. Why do you always right. have uh, to one up me? All right. I'm not, Wilmette is one upping you. Take it up with 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 Will Met. We did, Taft always has had a feud uh, with with Will Met. <laughs> um, okay, uh, Byam Theater, the, the former Fulton yeah. Theater, formerly the Gaiety, originally built in 1903. Oh, oh man! Well, I think Ooh, it's only yeah. fair. This is why this is why you host that podcast? Uh, yeah, I think you, it's only fair that the guests yeah, win. Exactly. 
Thanks, um, guys. Rico, thank you for joining us. This was a lot of fun. This was the best I could talk about this all day, and I'm glad that we're not for your sake. Um, yeah. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> um, real quick, of course, uh, listeners, as usual, you can find us at battleshipretention.com. Find our movie reviews there. Uh, email us at david at battleshipretention.com or tyler at battleshipretention.com. Follow me on Twitter at davypretension. Also, make sure to check out make sure to check out my other podcast uh, that I do with my wife. It's called the one where I met your mother. We watch an episode of friends and an episode of how I met your mother every week, compare, contrast, laugh, <laughs> talk about things that haven't aged. Well, talk about what was going on in the world. The Daisy episode episodes aired. It's a, uh, uh, it's a lot of fun. We do it every week. Uh, the one where I met your mother, you can also find that at battleship pretension. Tyler is on Twitter at Tyler pretension. Tyler, do you have anything you want to plug real quick? Yeah. If you go to battleship you'll see my review of, uh, they them or perhaps they slash them it feels like it's probably meant to be seen, said that way uh, as well as my review of 13 lives and uh, a few other reviews that i've uh, that i've uh, put out there so you can find those at battleshipretention.com uh rico where can people find you where can people find the movie podcast uh anything else you want to say uh, you can find me at my name, which I very stupidly use my entire name, which is very difficult to spell in all my, uh, uh, social media handles. It's Rico Galliano, G-A-G-L-I-A-N-O, R-I-C-O-G-A-G-L-I-A-N-O at, uh, Twitter and on Instagram. And you can't find me on Facebook. That's just for friends. And you can find the movie podcast, wherever you, uh, stream your podcasts. It's M U B I. And I do hope you listen. There's lots of famous people on it. We've got, uh, uh in addition to Mary Heron, we have, uh, Alejandro Jodorowsky. We talked to uh, Peter Strickland. We talked to, wow. who else did we talk to the producer of Harold and Maude, who's one of the last creative minds behind that movie that's still alive and or not a recluse. Um, a lot of cool folks. Barbe Schroeder. Oh, uh, it was amazing. And speaking of which, yes, also go to uh, movie.com slash notebook and you can find my interview with Barbe Schroeder, which if you only know him from doing, say, single white female or uh, his Oscar nominated and in one case, Oscar winning reversal of fortune, go back and look at this guy's life. He had an amazing array of incredibly insane films. He also and, made desperate measures. Did he? I believe so. Yes. How did I not find that in my research? <laughs> well, didn't he also, what was the, uh, uh, murder by numbers? Isn't that, was that, was that him? Yeah. Yeah. But he what I think have... of is, um, Barfly, uh, Barfly is great, but our lady of the assassins That's right. uh, yes, yes. Oh, is, yeah. is a movie that he made that I saw at the aforementioned landmark in Chicago. Oh, wow. And he also did, I mean, like it's something that I think isn't talked about nearly enough because they're fascinating are documentaries. He calls it his mm -hmm. trilogy of evil. And it's like interviews with Idi Amin, where he basically yeah. lets Idi Amin sort of guide the mm. process. And it's freaking crazy. It's, it's really amazing. Yeah, I've seen, yeah. I, I think I have that Blu-ray, Criterion Blu-ray. And then he does do a documentary about Coco, the talking gorilla, who just says a lot of really heinous shit. <laughs> um, okay. Sorry. We can All right. Well, uh, again, thank you, Rico, so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Thank you at home for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.